You're listening to Be Health Connected, a podcast by the St. Louis Area Business Health Coalition. Your host for today's episode is Lauren Rimsbecker, BHC Senior Director of Member Engagement and Communications. Hello, I'm Lauren Rumsbecker, and welcome back to the BHC's Be Health Connected podcast. As we opening series on the impact of type 2 diabetes in the workplace. During this episode, we will be diving into the role of obesity as a risk factor for the disease and considerations for its prevention and treatment. I'm pleased to be joined by Jason Lurk, pharmacist by training and medical accounts associate director for Novo Nordisk. He has supported employer, employer coalition, and trade accounts by sharing scientific data around diabetes, obesity, and associated chronic comorbid conditions for the last eight and a half years. Jason, thanks for taking some time to speak with me about this important topic. So let's start off with some key messages that you would like to open our podcast with today. So thanks, Lauren, and appreciate everyone for joining in. I guess I'd like to start by saying, Imagine a disease, a disease that is chronic, progressive, associated with relapse, and affected by genes, hormones, and our living environment. Imagine a disease to which 44% of the global diabetes burden is attributable, and imagine a disease linked to 2.8 million deaths annually and is the fifth leading cause of global death. This is the current state of obesity. Wow, those are just some stunning statistics. And, you know, certainly we've all heard of obesity before, but I think it, you know, really wasn't until recently that maybe some of our community started recognizing this condition as a disease. Can you further explain the factors contributing to obesity over time? Sure, and it definitely is something that, you know, has evolved and is evolving. I think a key point is understanding that obesity is not simply a problem of lifestyle. It's not a failure of willpower for someone. It's not being lazy. It has its own pathophysiology. And as a scientific community, I think that's where we're better understanding obesity as a chronic medical condition. So the understanding of obesity, it really has evolved in the recent years with increasing recognition that, as I said, it's not caused by lifestyle alone. Really, we now have what we like to say is what was the old historical view of obesity and a more updated modern view, and I'll go into a little bit more of those. The historical view of obesity really was a thought process that energy imbalance led to poor patient choices with regards to food, lifestyle, and physical activity. Now we better understand this modern view of obesity and some of the science behind obesity. One key point is the brain chemistry and how biology determines our eating behaviors our feelings of hunger, our feelings of feeling of fullness. There's hormones in biology that are stimulated. 
Also, I think it's worth noting that really not all calories are alike. We're in an environment where food is plentiful. There's more processed foods, a lot of food options. So that plays in as well. And then really the physiological factors that drive weight regain after weight loss through uh, whether it's diet is kind of a new phenomenon of the body defending a set point. And in response to weight loss, there are biology changes. We increase our appetite, our metabolism decreases. So trying to combat those as the body's trying to defend a certain set point or body weight. And really body weight regulation, it is complex. It's influenced by our genetics, physiology, and, and our environmental factors. If we can take a, a deeper dive into understanding really, again, the brain and how it regulates appetite, a concept of this gut-brain axis as we're better understanding, uh, there's three things around appetite regulation. Whether we're eating for hunger, our behavioral component for eating, or eating for pleasure. So with eating for hunger, hormones uh, are released for hunger. Our body fe uh, feels hungry, hormones are released. Same for feeling of fullness. After we eat, there are fullness hormones or satiety hormones. What if there's a defect in these hormones? And that's what we're better trying to understand from a scientific standpoint. From a behavioral side, what are our uh, patterns when deciding to eat, whether we eat at eight, noon, and five, and trying to break some of those, those behavioral components. And then thirdly, eating for pleasure. So we all have a motivation to eat, pleasure associated with food, that reward system. So trying to combat and overcome those. And really, I guess to summarize, obesity is a chronic medical disease or chronic medical condition. It should be a main focus of employer benefit discussions that are going on today. I'm so glad that you brought employers into this conversation because they really are, you know, a big part of the audience listening today. So what would you tell them um, or what should they really be understanding about the association of type 2 diabetes and obesity and what we now know as prediabetes? You know, that's a great question. And I think to simply state it, it's uh, been well shown. Obesity is the leading risk factor for development of type 2 diabetes. And as being a risk factor, there needs to be emphasis on kind of the treatment of obesity. So getting, getting more into it, excess weight really predisposes an individual to developing uh, type 2 diabetes. There's some level, and this has been talked about, some level of insulin resistance may develop. The body becomes less sensitive to that insulin that is released. And there's plenty of data out there showing as well that uh, fat cells or adipose cells, they're more resistant to insulin than if you have more muscle mass. So individuals with obesity then are more likely to develop type 2 diabetes, which is understood as a progressive disease. After that insulin resistance develops, uh, the beta cell dysfunction occurs and type 2 diabetes 
then progresses. And really this is related to a lot of the excess weight. Obesity can greatly increase your risk of having other chronic comorbid conditions like heart disease. We just talked about type two diabetes. The CDC states there's 13 different types of cancer that are associated with uh, people who have obesity compared to a normal weight population. Sleep apnea, osteoarthritis, and really there are many more, but I just wanted to at least highlight those couple. And we also know that in addition to the health outcomes that obesity is having an economic impact as well, especially when we're looking at this from a business perspective. So can you expand on that a little bit more? You know, absolutely. And this, that's a key point uh, for employers as well as the economic impact. There's some data out there. I'm going to share some, some quick highlights and key points, but I think we're better understanding and trying to uh, formulate what actually the economic impact of obesity is. And you'll see more information moving forward, but uh, three things around it. Uh, the first one being healthcare costs are high. The second related to productivity costs. And thirdly, I'd like to highlight the future of our workforce. So going back to healthcare costs are high, a couple stats. Obesity is associated with a 46% increase in inpatient costs, a 27% increase in non-inpatient costs, and an 80% increase in prescription medication costs when compared to a normal weight population. So the healthcare component or healthcare costs, there's data out there. From a productivity standpoint, and working with employers the last several years, a lot of times absenteeism and presenteeism, they're very hard to quantify at an individual employer level. Some employers do it well, others it's hard to, to quantify. So these are national statistics for the United States, but obesity accounts for annual costs of $12.8 billion in absenteeism. So that's people not even showing up to work uh, due to the main cause of obesity. And then it's stated that there's $30 billion in presenteeism costs here in the United States. So people showing up to work, but not functioning to the level of someone with a normal weight or normal BMI. And then the other point that I wanted to make is the future of our workforce really is at risk. If you look at um, over one-fifth or 20% of individuals aged 12 to 19 in the United States, they have obesity. This, this, this isn't the workforce today. They may be dependents, but they're the workforce of the future. And we really need to ensure uh, adequate measures to prevent that number from going up, prevent future obesity but then focus on the population that has obesity and how do we treat this population appropriately. And I do want to make a final point here that the World Health Organization has declared obesity as an epidemic. And we could talk more about that. And several times before, the, uh, during this conversation, you've mentioned uh, prevention and treatment as kind of key pieces of this puzzle. Uh, can you talk a little bit about how you're defining these um, from a clinical perspective? 
You know, absolutely. And I think it's, I think it's key to uh, really grasp that concept of what prevention means and what treatment means. So if we think of, say, prevention of obesity or prevention of prediabetes or prevention of type 2 diabetes, strategies really need to be in place to try to prevent someone who has, who's in that overweight category by a BMI categorization, preventing them from moving up to a BMI of 30, which would classify them as having obesity. So there's a lot of programs out there aimed at these preventative tactics. How do we prevent someone from, uh, or with prediabetes of developing type two diabetes? We know it's a progressive disease, but how do we put solutions in place to prevent that progression? I think it's an area that's still being refined, but it needs to have a certain focus. Um, and then flipping over and I guess discussing that treatment component, if someone has a BMI of 30, so 30 to 35 is class one obesity, 35 to 40 is class two obesity, and a BMI over 40 is class three obesity, if they're in one of those categories, really the guidelines recommend that they need to be treated. We treat someone with hypertension. We treat someone uh, with depression. We treat someone with type 2 diabetes. And really, this is kind of bringing to light that what are we doing to treat this population that has obesity for their chronic medical condition? And uh, I think this is really in a, a space that there needs to be differentiation. There's solutions developing moving forward, but uh, it really needs to be, I guess, discussed at the employer level. And from a solutions standpoint, uh, Novo Nordisk has been conducting research in obesity for the last two decades. Um, can you elaborate a little bit more on the work being done in this space and, and where you think uh, some of the next opportunities might be? Sure. And, and that is key. So Novo Nordisk has historically been known as a diabetes company. Uh, there are other chronic diseases that we uh, are, are conducting research. As you mentioned, obesity is one of those. And our scientists, they're really trying to better understand this gut-brain access and how it relates to body weight management. And some of these hormones that are released to regulate, as I said earlier, hunger and satiety or that feeling of fullness. Can we investigate these hormones and maybe develop a pharmaceutical compound uh, to treat obesity from this hormonal standpoint? We do currently have published data that's out there uh, looking at patients um, really out to three years. And it was a population that all had pre-diabetes to start, and we were looking at the impact of their pre-diabetes status really due to weight loss from a particular weight loss medication. And that information is out there and available. Uh, we can look at it at a future date. I guess from a, from a future study standpoint, uh, we are conducting research looking at the impact of body weight loss on some of these other comorbid conditions, as I said pre-diabetes. What's the impact of weight loss on cardiovascular risk? That's an area that really hasn't been investigated. 
And then some of these other chronic comorbid conditions. There are several investigational compounds that we're currently invest, uh, uh, researching, which aren't FDA approved, but hopefully at a future date, we'll have more treatment options for patients who have obesity as a chronic medical condition and good data around some of these comorbid conditions. Very exciting to hear of some of the things that are, are coming down the pipeline and we'll look forward to staying connected with you on those. So in the meantime, um, what opportunities do you think there are for employers to start implementing some successful strategies that can really impact the health and well-being of their workforce? You know, that's a great question. And uh, there's really a lot of strategies. I might just highlight four key strategies. And I think to highlight them and then go, go a little deeper into them, the first of employers knowing their data. The second is around stigma and bias associated with obesity. The third I'll, I'll kind of talk about is that financial impact piece. And then I might close with um, benefit alignment. So I think first and foremost, it's key for employers to know their data. There's a lot of electronic data out there. Unfortunately, today it's hard to get a good grasp on all of it. But I think, I think whether it's through the wellness vendor, biometric screening, medical carrier, prescription benefit manager, employers really can start by understanding these prevalence rate, rates within their own population, whether it's prediabetes, diabetes, obesity, then they can move forward to, uh, to create and address strategies specific for each of those populations and really target those disease states once they, once they have a good grasp on their data. Second, I mentioned this stigma and bias around obesity. I think employers can really aid in developing strategies, communications, to remove and eliminate this known stigma and bias around obesity. Help recognize obesity as a chronic medical, a chronic uh, medical condition. There's a workforce bias and stigma. There's a societal bias and stigma. Uh, there's a medical community uh, bias and stigma. And really, if we can, at the employer level, um, try to eliminate this, there's several resources out there. Um, there the health-related organizations and agencies or professional societies recognizing obesity as a global health challenge and saying that there's a required chronic disease management model. Uh, just to state a few, the World Health Organization, the Food and Drug Administration, the American Medical Association, the Obesity Society and American Association of Clinical Endocrinologists, really, if you look at the guidelines, the state obesity is a disease or chronic medical condition, state that we need the full force of our medical knowledge to bear on the prevention and treatment of obesity. So the third point that I, would, that I stated was the financial impact. And I think employers can really um, broaden their scope and think of financial impact with regards to direct and indirect medical costs 
across the subsets of the population, whether it's class one, two, and three obesity compared to either overweight or normal weight. Pull in those medical claims. Look at the pharmacy claims from a direct cost standpoint. Um, then from an indirect standpoint, consider what the workers' compensation, disability, you can look at absenteeism or presenteeism if those are hard to quantify. At least try to tie in that workers' compensation and disability from an indirect cost. And then kind of my fourth point that I wanted to make was ensuring and designing benefit alignment. And what I like to always say is across these three pillars of medical and pharmacy benefits. So it's behavioral wellness programs, pharmacotherapy, or surgical options. And I think to ensure that employers have benefit alignment across those three is key. To ensure that your behavioral wellness program or lifestyle modification, really everyone can benefit from this, have a program in place with proven results that actually um, can be an adjunct to pharmacotherapy. And really pharmacotherapy is indicated when someone has a BMI over 30 or BMI of 27 with comorbidities. That's that treatment piece. And then uh, thirdly is the treatment piece for surgical options. A lot of employers offer surgical options uh, to their population. But ensuring that these three pillars are aligned from a benefit standpoint, you want to make sure your medical carrier doesn't have any exclusions uh, that may exclude the healthcare community from, from treating obesity as a chronic medical condition. So I think those four points of knowing the data, talking about the stigma and bias, looking at the financial piece and ensuring benefit alignment, that will really set up and create success moving forward uh, in this space. Wow, what a great way to end today's conversation with some direct action items that employers can consider. Jason, thank you for helping us to understand the science behind obesity and why this is such an important condition for employers to be uh, focusing on when it comes to the fight against uh, diabetes. Uh, we appreciate Nova Nordis research and treatment innovations in this space, and we look forward to continuing to collaborate with your team to achieve a world without chronic disease, both in the workplace and the community. Thank you for listening to the Be Health Connected podcast. For additional episodes or to learn more about employer resources available through the St. Louis Area Business Health Coalition, please visit www.stlbhc.org.